He's in the building! Rink the moment. Rink it. I said, empty your mind. Coquettish and coy. Ow. Ow. What? Wickedly talented. More than great. It was historic. Crack is world. Oh, good for you. I have to apologize. One of the hottest. Hello, and welcome back to The Reheat, a podcast that re-examines the hottest celebrity news and scandals of yesteryear and asks, how would we react to the same events if they transpired today? I'm your co-host, Sadaf Hassan. And I'm Sarah Sahagian. This week, we'll be discussing the evolution of Camilla Parker Bowles, now the Duchess of Cornwall. When Princess Diana tragically died in 1997, the public largely blamed Charles, and by extension, his mistress, for her untimely death. But in 2021, it's time to ask whether Camilla was unfairly scapegoated for the end of a dysfunctional marriage that never should have happened in the first place. Has the time come for the public to forgive Camilla Parker Bowles? Oof. How and when did you become aware of who Camilla Parker Bowles was? I remember when I was much younger and I knew of Princess Diana and I saw her as this flawless angel. I think a lot of us did, but especially as a child, I saw her as this incredible princess that no one could touch. And I remember Camilla sort of being this punchline that my parents often used and I didn't know who she was. And so at some point I did a little bit of digging and I found out about the affair and she basically became the villain in Diana's story to me. Therefore, the bad guy. And so did Charles, actually. It was something that we talked a lot about in our family. And I've just never, I was never a fan since, and I never really looked up anything about her. I never really redeemed her in my head. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing that's funny is that I realized the only point in time where I started to see her differently and in a better light was The Crown, the last season, which was just last year. So all these years went by and I never saw her in a different light. And a lot of that is because the media has kept her in the villainous light. Mm -hmm. I would say The Crown did a lot to rehabilitate her. And I think something that helped is Emerald Fennell, who is a very popular screenwriter and actress, portrayed her. So that was that was pretty flattering casting. Oh, yes. Um, I would love for Emerald Fennell to play me. I would, too. It's not possible, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I love Emerald. <laughs> so born Camilla Shand, Camilla's father was an army officer and a World War II war hero. Her family, while not noble, were aristocratic and wealthy. Camilla herself was a country girl, growing up on an estate in Sussex. The Shand household was indeed full of love and laughter, with two parents who reportedly loved each other and their three children very much. However, like many upper-class girls of her time, including Princess Diana, Camilla's family didn't encourage her to pursue academics. Sons were typically sent to higher education at this time, while daughters were prepared for marriage. Camilla's friends and family typically describe her as well-read and relatively bright, and yet Going to university or some sort of trade school was completely off the table. Instead, Camilla attended a finishing school in Switzerland. So, Sadaf, what do you think about the way the British gentry raised their daughters until the late 20th century? Why do we think this backward way of parenting daughters finally changed? It is so backwards, and that's the thing. Like, it was, but it still is. So many of these things are still the ways the royals operate. And it makes me sad because many of these women were essentially placed in arrangements that maybe they didn't Mm -hmm. even really want. They were just marriages of convenience that brought the family power and status. And that's obviously something those families were really keen on. And, you know, it's tough not to see the women being used as sort of like cattle. And whereas men actually got to pursue something they wanted in life, women weren't really given that option except to find like a good looking, decent, well-bred man to marry. Um, But I think things changed for most of us with the women's liberation movement, which was in the 60s, went through the 80s, made a massive change. Women went to school, they had jobs, they had rights. But I think, has that really gotten to the royal family? I don't know that it has. What do you say, Sarah? So British gentry 
kind of raise their daughters like this, not to have any marketable skills until the millennials. Like one thing that I find fascinating is that Emerald Fennell, who plays Camilla on The Crown, she comes from a very similar background, a wealthy British family. But she attended Oxford and was encouraged to have a career. I mean, she's been a showrunner, an actress, an Academy Award-winning screenwriter. Um, And just the contrast where you see, like, the complete about-face when it comes to the way daughters are raised in this particular sector of society. And in many ways, like the gentry, even in Camilla's time, like, if you were a rich girl, obviously you had incredible privileges. But you also didn't have that many options. Middle-class girls would have been encouraged to get qualified to do something, and she really didn't have a way of supporting herself very well. No. Uh, But to be fair, she probably had a horse. I feel like all these women probably (laughs) had a horse. That was the one thing. Oh, yeah. She She had horses. She had horses, lots of dogs. She went to lots of parties. She had a fun life. Yeah, who needs a degree when you have a horse at home? Yeah, I, I don't feel too sorry for her. I just think it's it's glad I'm glad that that way of parenting has ended. Just because, like, what if you don't want to get married to a rich guy and like continue to live that life? Yeah, absolutely. Or just not even get married in general. That's the other thing. When yeah. you were are a royal and you don't happen to do that, I assume that there's a lot of rumors that float through the family and they're not very kind and stories mm-hmm. that spread. And even for non royals, because Camilla's family they weren't royals; they were just friends with the royal family, which is. Right. Like the royal adjacent slash noble adjacent people are this fascinating little slice of the British aristocracy. So now let's get into the more salacious parts of Camilla's life. The love story between Charles and Camilla actually starts with a different love story, that of Camilla and military officer Andrew Parker Bowles. The two had been an item, and royal biography Penny Jr. asserts Camilla was besotted with Andrew when they first met. However, Andrew was never great at monogamy. He actually started a dalliance with Prince Charles's younger sister, Princess Anne. You might remember that from The Crown. Camilla's pursuit of Charles may therefore have begun as a way to make Andrew jealous. In many ways, it was inevitable that Charles and Camilla would become involved at some point in their lives. Camilla's family had moved in royal circles for generations. In fact, her great great-grandmother, Alice Kemple, was King Edward VII's mistress. So when she met Prince Charles at a polo match in 1970, it's fitting that her reported pickup line may have been this. My great-great-grandmother was your great-great-grandfather's mistress, so how about it? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That could be apocryphal. Like, it's not 100% certain whether or not she said it, but I want to believe she said it. Let's take a moment to talk about how incestuous upper-class dating was at this time. Like, you have a pair of lovers (laughs) dating a pair of royal siblings. Like, that's gross. Am I the only one who thinks that's gross? I don't think it's so bad. I actually think it's really sweet. My parents and aunt and uncle are actually two sisters who married two brothers. It's not quite the same. But yeah, right? Like, there's a bit of romance to it. I kind of love this. I mean, let's not forget, they they had intertwining tastes, but not intertwining bedroom activities. (laughs) So there was no actual incest happening. I personally think it's very sweet. Um, And, you know, once you have a close group, sometimes people, you know, the action spreads all around. And with the royals, those circles were kept pretty tight. So it actually makes a lot of sense, I think. I know. It's kind of like season three of Dawson's Creek, right? Like, at this point, everyone has dated everybody. Exactly. So Charles quickly fell in love with Camilla. According to Tina Brown's The Diana Chronicles, Charles fancied her in part because of her sexual boldness. He liked women who took the lead, but the pair's bond was based on more than physical attraction. Camilla's friends universally describe her as a fun person with a fantastic sense of humor. Both she and Charles enjoyed polo, the great outdoors, reading, and watercolors. The two dated for around six months before Charles was deployed on a mission with the Royal Navy. While he was deployed, Camilla didn't wait around. In fact, she married Andrew Parker Bowles in 1973 at the age of 25. Brown's book argues, my view is that the love of Camilla's life was not Prince Charles, but the man she married first, Andrew Parker Bowles. Her dalliance with Charles had been fun, flattering, and sexy, but her friends knew all along that her consuming passion was Andrew. So do you believe Brown's thesis that Camilla loved Andrew best? I actually personally do. I feel like he might even be the one that got away. And one thing I have to say I love is when women 
do not wait around for any man. And she didn't do that. And that makes me really happy. She went and followed her heart. I really love that. What do you think, Sarah? Do you buy it? Oh, I I think that you can have more than one love of your life. Yeah. I think that probably Andrew was her first love. And at the time she married him, I do believe she loved him more than Charles. I, however, think that once she realized he was a bad life partner, she learned to appreciate Charles. Sometimes you have to learn to appreciate the person who actually is your best match. That person is likely not the guy you wanted to date in your early 20s, in my opinion. At least that is my experience. I We've had conversations about this. I actually completely agree with you. And I think... Let's, you make such an excellent point. You know, we can all fall in love with more than one person. And isn't that kind of great that life doesn't work like that very simple fairy tale where there's one person and it's the two of you forever? How great that you can have more than one person in your lifetime who you just adore and have these great times with. And the funny thing to me, though, is was Charles actually the better guy for her? It's tough to say because clearly both of these relationships did not pan out very smoothly, but these Mm. were her two options. I almost kind of wish she found a third. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the best case scenario to have found a third. I think of the two of them, and we'll yes. we'll get into this, he was probably more committed to her, although he was married to another woman and should have been committed to that woman. Okay. Yeah, and it does sound like they were very compatible. I'll say that. They were. Um, as gaga for Camilla as Charles was, marriage wasn't a realistic possibility for them in the 1970s. For one thing, Camilla was Catholic which at the time would have been controversial. According to the Act of Settlement passed by British Parliament in 1701, the British sovereign was legally required to marry a Protestant. It was not until 2011 that the legislation was amended to state that a monarch could marry a Catholic or someone of a different faith. Even if Camilla had been a Protestant, another fact disqualifying her from marrying Charles was this. She wasn't a virgin. The invention of the birth control pill in the 60s led to the sexual liberation movement. But as Tina Brown explains, the mores of the British monarchy are typically 20 years behind those of the general public. The queen and her mother, affectionately known as the queen mum, were therefore intent on finding Charles a young virgin to marry. So, Sadaf, can you comment on the gross sexual politics of expecting the Prince of Wales, who was not a virgin at all, um, to marry a virgin bride. Can I comment? I would like to just rage out about this. I just find it so disgusting and deplorable. So there's this virginity side to it, but then there's also the anti-Catholic sense of mine. I think it's all bullshit. And it's also just this kind of absurd, arbitrary rubric to limit who these people can fall in love with and partner up with. And I have sympathy for Charles here, actually, shockingly, because he should have been able to be with who he wanted to be with from the very beginning. And love should count for something, shouldn't it? Rather than any of these things. And also, how do you even confirm someone as a virgin? I don't even want an answer to that question. Yeah, and the thing is, the family liked Camilla. Like, her family had moved in royal circles. Yeah. His mom liked her. The issue wasn't that she wasn't suitable in terms of her personality. Like, she probably would have, from the very beginning, made a good Princess of Wales in terms of, like, understanding the royal role, right, and doing it the way they wanted her to do it. I'm not saying that she would have been as much of a superstar and as compassionate and amazing as Diana, but, like, she would have fit in with the family. They would have liked the way she performed the role. I think so, too. But she was disqualified by these two silly things. And so she's this victim of misogyny in the royal family, like, which we know is a white supremacist, misogynist institution. Like, we know that. And it's interesting the way it factors into the story and, like, everything that happens subsequently, everything that flows from this, all of this tragedy starts with this anti-Catholic bias and this super sexist prizing of virginity. Yeah, the misogyny runs deep. And they played themselves. They could have had who they wanted. He could have had who they wanted. Everybody could have been happy. It's just such a massive error to me. Yeah, and it would have been such a great way to modernize without really changing very much, to be like, okay, we're going to change the rules so we can marry a Catholic, which is not a huge change, especially because, like Kate Middleton, Camilla would have converted, right? So William was allowed to marry Kate Middleton, who had been born Catholic. But she also converted to Anglicanism and their kids are Anglicans. So, like, this wouldn't have been anything. Like, it would have been such a non-issue. Right. 
So while Charles played the field looking for his princess, Camilla was never far away. In fact, Charles was good friends with both Camilla and Andrew. The Prince of Wales played on the same polo team and was their son's godfather. (laughs) Speaking of intertwined. Yep. (laughs) Unhappily for Camilla, Andrew began cheating on her soon after their nuptials. According to the Duchess, an unauthorized biography of Camilla written by Penny Junior, Camilla's friendship with Charles became romantic again after the 1978 birth of her second child, Laura. Charles did date prospective princesses throughout this time, but it was obvious that Camilla came first While dating Anna Wallace, the daughter of a wealthy Scotsman, he couldn't resist making out with Camilla at a ball. To make matters worse, Anna Wallace and Andrew Parker Bowles were both in attendance. Oh my God. Andrew reportedly remarked, quote, the Royal Highness is very fond of my wife and she appears to be very fond of him. (laughs) Okay, this is where the incestuous vibes really light up. I'm like, ooh. They sounded like they were all in on something together, which, you know, okay, full support. But do all the partners know what's going on? That's what I would hope for. By this point, Andrew does know what's going on, and he yeah. doesn't have a leg to stand on because like, he's been cheating on Camilla since day one. And also, if your wife has to cheat on you with someone and you're part of the British gentry, this is your best case scenario, right? Like, <laughs> in many ways... And I know that this is messed up, but it was a status symbol for your wife to be the Prince of Wales' mistress. Wow. Like, Andrew, his family is in many ways even more enmeshed with the royal family than Camilla's. He was a page boy at Queen Elizabeth's coronation. So he also is enamored with the royal family, right? Like, that's why this was accepted, um, and Andrew is kind of making a joke about it. It's, they operate like the mafia. Like, this is Sopranos level infidelity. <laughs> the fact that you get status out of being a mistress is just hilarious. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I find fascinating is that when you look at Camilla's sort of her, her youth, her young life, she and Diana have a very similar trajectory. She marries a guy that she is in love with, but he probably doesn't love her back. He starts cheating pretty quickly. And then she's miserable after the birth of her second child. And she starts looking for companionship elsewhere outside of her marriage. Like they actually, in, a, in an alternate universe where the other man in Camille's life was not Charles, I feel like these two could have been confidants. If the circumstances were just slightly different, I could see them hitting it off and it would have been great. And maybe that could have happened, but maybe they never would have even met otherwise. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, one of the great tragedies of a lot of these stories is that men mess everything up for the women in them. Uh, Not just in these stories. (laughs) In modern day, often day to day. Yeah. By 1980, Charles was in his 30s, and the need for a virgin bride of noble birth was more pressing than ever. Tina Brown argues if Diana hadn't existed, they would have had to invent her. Lady Diana Spencer was the daughter of John Spencer, who inherited the famous Earl Spencer title in 1975. A fact that would have made Charles and Diana's courtship awkward in a normal community was that he had once dated her elder sister, Sarah. But with such a shortage of eligible young virgins, Charles could hardly be choosy. (laughs) We sound like vampires, a virgin bride of noble birth. (laughs) Eligible virgin. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They are vampires. The royals are vampires in a massive way. That's not wrong. (laughs) According to a friend of Diana's interviewed by Tina Brown, the, quote, logic of her abstinence was that she hoped to marry Prince Charles one day. While she did not know the Prince of Wales well, she had fallen in love with the idea of the handsome prince no one else could manage to nail down. And also at this time, like, the contest for a royal bride was everywhere in the media. So she would have been aware of it as she was coming of age. And like, I I mean, she was smart. She knew she was from a noble family and that he was cool with her family because he dated her sister. So she knew she had a shot at it. Like, she knew that if she just didn't have sex, she was going to be a contender. Small price to pay for Prince Charles. (laughs) (laughs) It's so amazing that people actually thought that in the 80s. Like, that was a genuine thing. He was a heartthrob at this time. I don't know why. Like, you know, that I, that is a sticking point for me, but I do wonder if it was just the fact that he was a prince and an, yeah. and an eligible prince, so then therefore people placed hotness onto him because I don't see those things gelling together. Never have. So 
Sorry, no. Charles. <laughs> no, it's kind of like with Bill Clinton, where when he became president, everyone's like, oh, he's so sexy. And I'm kind of like, really? But when you make a man powerful for some reason, because we're conditioned to find powerful men attractive, because that's a way to get ahead in a patriarchal society, like we decide that they're sexy and project that onto them. I agree with you, Charles. Has never done it for me. I I don't know if Charles can play the saxophone like Bill Clinton can, so I will judge. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Charles and Diana's matchmakers were their maternal grandmothers. The Queen Mum and Diana's grandmother, Baroness Fermoy, a name I love, yeah. were longtime friends who conspired to have Diana invited to house parties where Charles would also be in attendance. And so after 13 in-person encounters with Diana, during wow. which they were rarely alone, Charles proposed. It's like a job interview for like very high-level position. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they had to vet her. Yeah. You know, his colleagues did that. And by colleagues, I mean like the other royals. And they were like, okay, she's good. You can propose. <laughs> it's worth noting that his family, including his father, Prince Philip, had been pressuring him to pop the question. When the couple announced their engagement in February of 1981, Charles was 32 and Diana was just 19. Oh, yikes. So let's discuss the power imbalance in that relationship. I mean, just the age difference alone. He's had experience. He's dated people. He's been to Cambridge. He's seen the world. He's been in the Navy. So he has work experience. Um, and she's like legit just done school. And I mean, she she worked a bit. She she was a nanny. Um, she worked in a preschool. But she does. She's pretty naive at this point. What do you think, Sadaf? Yeah, I think she's naive and she's so innocent of so many things. I mean, how relationships work, how a marriage might work, but also how this family works and how intense it is and that she's not just marrying into this family. She's marrying into the firm. And there's a lot that goes with that. It's really heartbreaking and terrifying when you think about it. There's really no romance to it. No, there isn't. And whatever romance there is, is in Diana's head. Because she's still a teenager. And teenagers are often fanciful yeah. and full of, fan like, they're full of fantasies and naive ideas of the way the world is supposed to work. And she kind of thinks, like, in fairy tales, you want to marry the handsome prince. So why wouldn't I want to marry the handsome adjacent prince in real life still generous but yes <laughs> i also think like you know think of the press i mean we know that they were after her from that moment from the moment of the even before the engagement when the rumors were flying so she also had so much pressure just to live up to this dream princess role and the romance that everybody thought they were living i mean oof, that's heavy it's all very heavy yeah there was there was pressure on her too to think that this was a good match. I mean, she thought it was a good match going in, but she was definitely yeah. not going to change her mind once the media fell in love with her. I mean, yeah. Charles had actually been rejected before. He proposed to Amanda Natchborn, um, and she didn't want to marry him. So people have rejected Charles. Who is that woman? She deserves a yeah, book yeah. a show of her own. I want to know Amanda. That was his great uncle's granddaughter. So they're kind of related. Not surprising. Okay, there we go. Yeah, uh, she wasn't into it. She Because she had grown up with Charles, she knew what the life was going to be like, and I, she knew him, and she didn't want to do it. Right. Yeah, Diana's not the first proposal his family pressures him into making. <laughs> got it, got it. But for just one second, let's consider Charles's perspective here. How would you react if, as a man in your 30s who reportedly doesn't like to take the lead during sex, you were kind of forced, in your mind, you feel forced to marry an adolescent virgin? I don't think it's at all fair to him. I don't think it's fair to either of them. I mean, again, it goes back to the fact that he was in love with someone else who was by all means, a perfect match for him, a perfect match for the family, but he had to consider what his parents and the entire family wanted. And that meant a very specific person who he never even really got to spend any alone time with and even find out if he really liked her or if they were a match. This was a business arrangement more than anything. So I actually have a lot of compassion for the both of them at this stage. But it's trickier with Charles because he was an adult. He was a 32-year-old man. Uh -huh. So he could have stood up for himself at some point, the way years later, for example, Prince Harry has and shows him the person he wanted to be with, you know, but he just, he couldn't be moved to do that. I think he was too much of a little boy to get to that stage. And unfortunately, Diana became collateral damage. And also the woman he wanted was already married. So tough spot. Yeah. 
Over the years, there's been much speculation about whether Charles was ever faithful to Diana. Charles's camp insists he and Camilla stopped being lovers and were merely friends during the early days of his marriage. But regardless of whether or not they paused their physical relationship, it's incontrovertible that Charles never stopped being in love with Camilla and that he never truly fell in love with Diana. I mean, this is the man who notoriously said whatever in love means when a journalist asked him if he was in love with his fiancée. Terrible. He knew she was charming, beautiful, and sweet, but it wasn't love. In the words of Tina Brown, the trouble was that Charles was married already. He called and wrote to Camilla regularly while on his honeymoon. He also enraged his young wife by wearing the cufflinks his ex-girlfriend had given him during said honeymoon. Clearly, he couldn't get this woman out of his mind. He had to bring her through every special moment he could have had with Diana and potentially even getting to know her, but Mm -hmm. he just didn't even give himself the chance. I do think that no matter what happened physically and which person cheated first, he instigated this like the the marriage didn't have a chance in large part because he did this what do you think i do agree with you sarah i think even if they had given it more time maybe they wouldn't have been so compatible i do think he was a better match with camilla but it doesn't matter she was in a rather relationship he had fully committed to this other woman you give it a shot if that's what you've chosen which he did ultimately choose mm-hmm. no one held a gun to his head so i do find it just all around deplorable Yeah, and she was so young. He was taking advantage of her naivete. Like, I think he kind of thought that in some ways she wouldn't notice or would just be so excited to be a princess she wouldn't care. So Charles and Diana's honeymoon was disastrous on all levels. Uh, Not only was he (laughs) constantly in contact with Camilla, uh, they didn't like hanging out. He read books while she swam in the warm waters. At one point, Charles tried to get Diana to discuss passages of writing from his favorite author, Lawrence Vanderpost. It sounds like going on holiday with your grandfather. It just sounds awful. I feel so much for her because I feel like they were such opposites. What hell, to be honest? Yeah. So everyone always says Charles is an old soul. But the problem was he was an old soul with a much younger wife. So he's acting like her great uncle, basically. (laughs) Like, I'm going to give you homework, honeymoon homework. Analyze this author with me. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, and she just wanted to swim, for God's sake. Like, it's their honeymoon. Come on. On. Charles just strikes me as a man who was never able to just get a little loose. At least not with Diana. He was with Camilla. Apparently he was fun at parties with her, but like for whatever reason, Diana didn't bring that out in him and he became this like super serious, like, I don't know, school teacher who was trying to get her to like, I don't know, learn her lessons. It just, oh God, he sounds like a killjoy. <laughs> it's gross. Just awful. So the couple's physical connection was also lacking. Diana told others she was surprised they were even able to conceive children at all, given how rarely they had sex. The fact that Diana was a press darling didn't help matters. She regularly stole the spotlight Charles craved with her stylish clothes, her charm, and her compassion for the world's most marginalized communities. On occasion, Charles quipped, quote, I'm nothing more than a carrier of flowers for my wife. Yeah, that's right, though. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, you put yourself in that position. She's phenomenal. You don't, you, he didn't even remotely live up to half of what she was. Like, I do just want to make that point. She was incredible. Mm-hmm. There's a reason people loved her so much. She actually spoke with them. She interacted. She was a warm presence. He was none of those things. No, and I mean, I think... There were certain times where he felt like he was making speeches about important topics. Like, he actually was an early advocate for environmentalism and talked about global warming before other people. But the truth is, it wasn't Diana that was making those speeches unsuccessful. It's the fact that he wasn't a very charismatic or good public speaker. And that's something he should have worked on. Like, she worked on that. She got training. She really tried her best to be a good advocate for the things she cared about. And he kind of felt like, I'm the Prince of Wales, you should just listen to me. I think that's such a good point. I do think she did the work. She tried. From what we know, she tried. And I don't know that he did that. And he could have used their partnership to his advantage, even in those moments. I mean, you have this woman who really connects with people. She's your wife. Use her. <laughs> hmm So both Charles and Diana were physically unfaithful during their marriage. While Charles was the first to cheat emotionally, it's unclear who cheated first physically. And I think that's something that 
we lose sight of. So until I did this research, I just thought there was a consensus that he cheated physically before Diana did. Right. According to the timeline presented in Penny Jr.'s biography of Camilla, which again is unauthorized, um, Diana's romance with her riding instructor, James Hewitt, may have predated Charles's adultery. Mm. Um, there are royal scholars who do believe that that is true. Either way, by the time she pursued Hewitt in 1986, Diana knew her husband's heart belonged to Camilla, who lived mere miles from Highgrove, their country home. That's really interesting. And I also do want to add, when all of this was happening, you know, I've always just assumed that they were not really a married couple in my mind. They were two people who were stuck in an arrangement. Infidelity is um, a strong term for whatever these two were doing, considering that they weren't really in a marriage. And they knew it, but maybe the world didn't really know it. The problem is these two hated each other so much that unlike Andrew and Camilla, who who were able to make that work for a very long time and got along in public, and their kids had no idea that they were cheating on each other. It's amazing. Charles and Diana fundamentally didn't like being in the same room with each other. Yeah. Like, they just, they really shouldn't even have been friends, like, let alone married partners. Like, they just got on each other's nerves. So returning to Charles and Camilla, for several years, the two of them enjoyed a discreet secret romance. In their free time, the couple met up at their friends' houses for trysts. This meant many of the people with whom Diana thought she was friendly were facilitating this infidelity. That's a betrayal. In 1989, Diana made an unexpected appearance at a party both Charles and Camilla were planning to attend, and she was eager for a confrontation and found a room where Charles and his mistress were engaged in a private conversation, so they'd snuck off to be alone. Uh, when you know your wife is there, can't you give it a rest? Like, I don't understand. I do think he was a little bit obsessed. Yeah, that's true. She asked to be left alone with Camilla at this time when she found the two. In a pretty egregious act of cowardice, Charles obliged by leaving the room and fleeing his wife's wrath. Like, he left his mistress alone <laughs> there. Like, that is so cowardly. I was like, she's got this. And maybe she did. You know, I do feel like she was that person in the relationship. <laughs> According to the memories Diana shared with Andrew Morton, she said the following during this encounter. I know what's going on between you and Charles, and I just want you to know that. She said Camilla's response was this. You've got everything you ever wanted. You've got all the men in the world in love with you, and you've got two beautiful children. What more could you want? Diana's rejoinder was simply, I want my husband. Oh. For her part, Tina Brown doubts Camilla actually responded in the way Diana describes. She believes, based on Camilla's calm temperament and upbringing, it's far more likely she didn't say anything at all. However, Brown also stipulates that everything Charles and Diana said about each other in the early 90s, when they were jockeying for position in what would be dubbed the War of the Waleses, should be taken with a grain of salt. After all, each of them were determined to survive the dissolution of their marriage with minimal damage to their social standing. And this one is maybe a dumb question, but why did Diana care so much? Wasn't she also having affairs? Why do you think she still wanted to have this confrontation? I think it's actually such a good question because I think this is a big point for a lot of people that they get stuck on, and I understand. In my opinion, from what I have read and what I know, I have always gotten the sense that she really did try. She tried with him. She wanted to give it a go. They had kids together. like, And she cared about those children more than anything else. And mm -hmm. I think she wanted to be able to have this family unit for them. And I don't think Charles ever gave it a shot. And we can make that assumption just from what he would say about Diana to the media. Like, well, she's in love with me. I know that much. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, it's so clear. I don't think there's even room for speculation. I think it was always pretty obvious. So I can understand why she cared because it's that's your family and you went through hell to be able to make it happen. And she was really, really tortured by the press and by that family for so long. And to have this woman constantly coming in and pulling him away and pulling him to the side, it must have been just this terrible thing to have to deal with on top of everything else. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I, I get it, right? And also, as far as she's concerned, the reason she had an affair was because her husband had one first, right? And she just wanted some companionship and affection. Like, yeah. she wasn't getting her needs met emotionally. He wasn't having sex with her. And she's a young woman at this point. Uh, I think 
she feels like she was forced into it, which she would agree, like, if if you don't want to have this very lonely life, she was, right? Like, I mean, there was no gun to her head, but it's pretty bleak to think that until your husband dies, this is going to be your marriage unless you step out on him. Yeah, and I think also, again, I do agree with Tina Brown. I mean, I think we should take all of this dialogue with a grain of salt. But if Camilla did say something like, you've got everything you ever wanted, well, she really, really didn't. (laughs) We know that in retrospect. I mean, she was suffering in that place. And she had an eating disorder. And she was depressed. And it was pretty much hell. So (laughs) she really didn't have everything she ever wanted. And then this woman coming in and kind of being a part of that. It just, you know, you're looking at one of the people who's playing in that misery of your story. I don't blame her for feeling like, just leave us alone. Charles and Camilla's affair may never have become public knowledge had it not been for Diana herself. Charles had no intention of causing a scandal by divorcing a future queen, but Diana didn't want to be trapped in a loveless marriage for the sake of the monarch. She wanted out, and she found an exit ramp in Andrew Morton. Diana furtively fed the British journalist the story of her life. These revelations became the basis of his book, Diana, Her True Story, which was originally published in 1992. The book revealed a series of traumatic experiences, including Diana's multiple suicide attempts. Particularly salacious was the revelation that Charles had a longtime mistress. Overnight, Camilla went from a private person to the most hated woman in England. She was the other woman, branded the whore who'd made the people's princess unhappy. Paparazzi swarmed her house, making it nearly impossible to leave without being photographed. When Camilla did venture outside her home, she would crawl through the bushes upon her return, wanting to avoid the cameras. Media coverage of them, often subtly or overtly, mocked Camilla's appearance as a woman 14 years older than Diana. Basically, they made catty comments about how she was not as traditionally gorgeous as Diana, even though that is a very, very high bar. Yeah, it's also just really disgusting and misogynistic. I mean, who cares? It's ageist, it's sexist, it's looksist. Like, it's gross. At the time, Camilla was most reviled and most in need of security. This is when she actually had no royal protection. She wasn't technically royal at this time. She was just a royal mistress. Friends helped by doing errands like her grocery shopping, which is a detail that I actually think shows that regardless of how she hurt Diana, because their relationship did, she was capable of being a really lovely person in her community and was respected and had friends who were very loyal to her. Perhaps most upsetting to Camilla was that her children learned of her infidelity in the newspapers. Both Andrew and Camilla were seeing other people by this time, but they got along well in front of the kids who had no clue their parents weren't in love. So, Sadaf, do you think the press coverage of a royal affair would be less sexist today if it were revealed that Prince William had a longtime mistress? It's so hard to kind of see how this would go. I don't think Kate Middleton has the level of love that Diana did. Diana was just so everything to the whole world. And even though Kate is so popular, I just don't think it's quite the same story. But uh, but hey, if there was the level of evidence that came out with Prince William and another woman that there was with Prince Charles and Camilla, I do think that's a different story. And then maybe he would actually get some comeuppance, but he's still going to be the king. Well, maybe. <laughs> but like, so yeah, I, I don't... It, it, whatever would happen, it wouldn't, it wouldn't last very long. No. Kate is what would happen if Laura Bush had become a princess. Oh. Like, Laura Bush as first lady, who, like, wasn't controversial, like, advocated for good causes, but the most innocuous causes, like libraries, right? And, you know, so that you didn't really have an opinion on her. Like, even if you hated yeah. her husband, which many of us did, you're kind of like, eh, she's fine. Like, whatever. She's so milquetoast. Such a good point. And yes. I think that Kate has intentionally cultivated that, right? I think she knows that she shouldn't outshine her husband strategically. Um, Perfectly put, yeah. And I think that this is intentional, right? Uh, that's my opinion of Kate. I think she's quite shrewd. Yeah. In 1992, Charles and Diana's official separation was announced in British Parliament by Prime Minister John Major. Shortly after the Wales' separation was announced, Camilla went from being hated to humiliated. 
a mashup of a series of private phone calls between Charles and Camilla recorded in 1989 was leaked by the press in early 1993. While it is still unclear how the tape got out and why, the scandal caused a stir. Typically referred to as tampon gate, the tape includes a substantial amount of dirty talk, including the infamous comment where Charles says he would like to, quote, live inside Camilla's trousers. He jokes about turning into a tampax in order to make that dream a reality. However, much of the tape is actually quite sweet in tone. Charles discusses speech he has recently written, and Camilla sounds genuinely interested in it. She asks to read it. Both profess their love for each other multiple times and both lament when it's time to hang up the phone. (laughs) Well, I remember listening to this and I remember thinking it was actually quite sweet. You've got to listen to it all (laughs) and have an open mind. I don't think Charles is very good at dirty talk. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody on this planet, but (laughs) I do think you can hear the love that they have for each other. And there was something quite sweet about it and also just really genuine. And we've discussed this in previous episodes, but infidelity is hard work. Mm -hmm. So for her to actually be so dedicated to, with a prince, by the way, who has so much security and people around him and trying to keep up this affair as long as they did, even if it was emotional, it's hard work. So I do think that she really gave a shit about him because she had to really put in that effort. And I do think you hear it there. I think we are all just so, it's so tough for all of us to imagine him being even remotely interested. Mm -hmm. But hey, there is a woman out there who has felt that way forever. God bless. They sound really happy when they're talking to each other. They do. (laughs) If their relationship hadn't hurt other people, I would be happy for them. I'd be like, okay, you two people with boring interests found each other. Like, good for you. There's someone for everyone. Exactly. Things arguably got even worse for Camilla when in 1995, Princess Diana told Martin Bashir in no uncertain terms that Camilla Parker Bowles was a key factor in the breakdown of her marriage. Do you think Mrs. Parker Bowles was a factor in the breakdown of your marriage? Well, there were three of us in this marriage. So it was a bit crowded. Camilla was now so reviled that the queen herself, who had been fond of Camilla when she was young, wanted her banished. But Charles made it clear his relationship with the love of his life was not negotiable. This is basically the one time he's ever shown backbone. Yeah, it took years. (laughs) It took a lot of hell out of everyone else. But he got there. Yeah. During this time, Camilla's own marriage to Andrew Parker Bowles also ended. The public embarrassment of your wife being outed as the Prince of Wales' mistress probably played a part. However, Andrew's longtime mistress, Rosemary Dickinson, had also recently gotten divorced, and it's likely that Andrew saw an opportunity to marry her that he couldn't resist. He did later marry her. Wow, how convenient. I mean, really, how convenient. I don't think, I really don't think that tape played any part in this, because as you've stated, Andrew was cheating for quite some time. These two did not have this perfect relationship. No. No, he wanted to marry his mistress. And the truth is, like, he actually attended Camille's wedding to Charles and was, like, beaming. I believe that. Out of her. He should have given her away. (laughs) I know, I know, I know. No, they actually are very supportive exes. Like, in terms of conscious uncoupling, like, these people figured it out. I love it. They were ahead of they were ahead of their time. Yeah, they're very civilized in terms of how they interact with each other in many ways. What was so remarkable about the Camilla of the 1990s was that she never let the press see her sweat. They may have hounded her family, published photos of her from unflattering angles, and constantly compared her unfavorably to the younger, more traditionally beautiful Diana. But whenever the press caught a glimpse of her, Camilla looked unflappable. Camilla's patience and poise were starting to pay off by July of 1997, when the newly divorced Charles threw his longtime love a 50th birthday bash. While it was a private party, this time Camilla arrived at Highgrove via the front entrance instead of sneaking around the back to avoid press scrutiny. It was a clear announcement that the prince no longer intended to hide their relationship. (laughs) Can you imagine that you're the mistress for someone and then your big day comes when you get to use the front door instead of the back door? I mean, it's just such a stunning metaphor. I'm happy for her. (laughs) Yeah, it's really demeaning. (laughs) Uh, the fact that, like, she couldn't use his front entrance until, like, 1997. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yep. 
But this repackaging of Camilla as a royal consort was put on pause by a horrific tragedy. On August 31st, 1997, Diana, the woman known as the People's Princess, died from injuries sustained from a high-speed car crash. Her boyfriend, Dodi Fayed, also died that night. The car's drunk driver, Henri Paul, was the real reason Diana didn't live to see 37. And yet, Penny Junior contends that there seemed to be a general feeling in Britain that if Charles hadn't been unfaithful with Camilla, the tragedy wouldn't have happened. So, Sadaf, is it reasonable to apportion any of the blame at all for Diana's tragic demise to Charles? What do you think? If you really want to get into semantics, okay, sure, maybe she wouldn't be out with this other guy if she was still married to Charles, or still if she'd had this Uh relationship with Charles. But I just, I think that's silly, and I think it's also looking for someone to blame and keeping Charles and Camilla in these villain roles. I do still not like those two very much, particularly Charles, but I don't think that Uh had to do with her death. It was just this terrible accident. Um, And, you know, when you love someone so much, you want to blame somebody, but I don't see it here. What about you, Sarah? I don't see it, and I really don't see it for Camilla, right? I mean, Charles was her husband, but blaming the other woman, I think, is just... It's irrational and it's misogynistic. I don't think it's acceptable. I understand that, like, Diana was so beloved that people were not thinking rationally when this happened. Uh, And there was this impulse to lash out against somebody who had undeniably hurt her at some point in her life. But there were so many other factors. I mean, it was just such a complicated death. They also weren't wearing seatbelts because in Britain, it's customary for people, at least at this time, not to wear seatbelts, right? So, like, there's so many different factors that you could have blamed. I mean, her bodyguard really shouldn't have let her get into a car with somebody who was drunk. Yeah. Um, I'm not blaming him at all. Like, I, but I'm just saying, like, there are so many other factors that came into play. They were also being chased by the paparazzi. Like, this happened, and many horrible tragedies happened happened for several reasons. And Charles is really, in my opinion, not on the list. Yeah, I agree. Well, at this time, Camilla receded from the public eye, giving space for Britain and Diana's boys to grieve her loss. But Camilla and Charles were eventually rewarded for their patience. In 2003, she moved into Prince Charles's residence, Clarence House, with the blessing of his mother. And two years later, the couple were married in a civil ceremony with Prince William acting as the best man. So his children, of, well, at least Prince William, eventually accepted the relationship. Um, to avoid disrespecting Diana's memory as the Princess of Wales, Camilla was given the title the Duchess of Cornwall. Today, the Duchess spends her time supporting charities and attending official functions around the globe with her husband. Some of the causes for which she has chosen to advocate include osteoporosis, sexual assault crisis centers, and the victims of domestic violence. Here's a clip from a 2017 ITV documentary. Um, I have cited this one before. It's The Real Camilla, HRH, The Duchess of Cornwall. That's a long title. In the clip, Camilla gets a chance to discuss why sexual assault centers are of vital importance, and I think she does so articulately. I've talked to women who are 30 years old, have, you know, have still not yeah. reported it. Yes, you know, definitely. So too ashamed yes, definitely. and embarrassed to, to do so. And that's why our service is so great, because... Um, it's, it's the They've always got somebody. Definitely, that they can yeah. Talk to. Yeah, that's when we talk about complicated female characters and how we want more of them in the media and we want people to be seen with nuanced. Like, I, I don't think you can find someone more layered than Camilla, right? I really don't. I think she is incredibly interesting, uh, and maybe society is ready to accept her warts and all, or at least try to understand her warts and all. All right, I think it's time for Hindsight is 2021. This is the segment where we discuss how the two of us may have handled things differently if we were in our subject's shoes. So let's start with you. Oh, I have so many things. You know, they all have to do with Charles. (laughs) I just wish Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. he grew balls or a spine or any of those things and had stood up for Diana or Camilla and just been more of a presence for even what he wanted. He never did that. Not until much, much later when so much damage had already been done. And I wish both of these people had really considered Diana's feelings and had even a smidge of respect for her and what she was going through 
it doesn't take a lot, you know, you're, you're in this affair, she was having her own relationships, fine, but there was still room for communication and room for some kind of empathy, and I really don't feel like he specifically had that, and it mm-hmm. ended up making Camilla look even worse, and impacted her image for years, she will never get past that. What about you, Sarah? So if I had been Charles, I would have searched for a bride in the 80s who was cool with ethical non-monogamy, right? Or whatever they called it in the 80s. Like, who was okay with the arrangement, who knew that I loved someone else and just was fine with that, right? Was fine with me being with another woman. Because I think if it had been on the up and up and everyone had consented and been happy, if it had been more like an arrangement Camilla and Andrew had with each other, everything would have been fine, right? There wouldn't, it wouldn't have been this, this tragic fiasco. So that's what I would have done. But he didn't really have a lot of courage at this point in his life. So he didn't advocate for what he wanted. I mean, he probably should have just fought to marry Camilla when he wanted to. But given that he was probably younger than he probably was too young to get married at the time. Like, they wanted him to do his military service first, right? Like, and she was in love with Andrew. That was never going to happen. So what could he have done to make the best of being in love with a married woman? Well, he could have found a wife of his own who was cool with that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's really fascinating the way that this entire drama changed things so much generations along. I just wish that they would move a little bit faster because this family is still living way back in the past. Um, hopefully one day one someone in this family can bring home a person of color or a woman who's older or, you know, whatever it might be. And it's not going to be the end of the world and the press won't tear them apart. The one thing about the royal family that... I mean, that keeps me coming back, even though I know they're problematic, is that these stories are always interesting, even when they're horrifying, what happens. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So I guess we've come to the end of this episode. Um, My conclusion is simply that Camilla Parker Bowles and Prince Charles met almost 50 years ago. The affair certainly hurt people, including the late Princess Diana. However, their love story appears genuine. And perhaps this time, it's time for the world to forgive Camilla Parker Bowles, to define her not as the other woman who captured the heart of a younger, more beloved, and more beautiful woman's husband. Rather, the Duchess is a three-dimensional person who has done both good and bad things in her lifetime. As I see it, we can cherish Diana's memory without condemning Camilla. And with that, we hope you'll be back next week. Now, if you want to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Sadafasan. Sarah, where can our listeners find you? Listeners can find me at Sarah Sahagian. And if you liked this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe so other listeners can find us too. Thanks for listening. 